Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, July 14th, 2021. This is Shannon, and today I'm here with Brooke, Kristen, and Sarah, and we are talking about books with exceptional animal characters. So some of these books are specifically about the animals. Um, Some of them are animals kind of as like side characters, but in all of these books, the animals are at least to us a part of the plot that really stands out. So I'm going to go ahead and do the usual housekeeping information. I will then turn it over to Brooke, followed by Kristen, then me, and lastly, Sarah. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book tonight is A Borrowing of Bones, Mercy and Elvis Mysteries, number one, by Paula Munier. It's spelled M-U-N-I-E-R, so I'm pretty sure that that is how you say it. So in this um, series, so it's a series, and we have our main characters are Mercy. She is a former military police um, veteran um, for for the Army. And then we, uh, then we have Elvis, and he is a Belgian Melanois, and he um, was a bomb, bomb sniffer dog, and he worked with um, Mercy's fiance, who was killed in, I, I want to say Afghanistan. So she ended up adopting him, and together they have moved out to Vermont, um, where her grandma lives, and she like they're kind of trying to find themselves I know it kind of sounds funny that a dog's trying to find themselves but you can tell that they're both dealing with PTSD and they're both trying to find like their new normal um so one day they set off on a trek through the wilderness and they're walking along and they hear crying and so of course they're like, uh, we got to go figure out who this is. So Mercy tells um, Elvis to go find, or what, I can't remember if it's find or search. And he ends up coming across a, an infant. And the infant is laying next to a hole that has some bones that Mercy is oh. pretty sure are human bones. So not only are, is she wondering like, who is this baby and where is their parents? But she's also knowing like that she needs to like preserve the evidence 
So she calls out the game warden, um, as well as the police. And Troy and his St. Bernard named Susie Bear are like the other. Um, so they're kind of like the secondary characters. Um, Elvis and Mercy are the main ones. And then we have um, Troy and Sylvie, Syl ah, Susie Bear. And as the books are kind of going on, you'll see a relationship start to develop between Mercy and Troy. And we get to see them working together. So like the dogs will, um, Susie Bear is a search and rescue dog. And he, she also helps Troy with his concert, like, cause he's a game warden. So she also helps him find animals that are injured or even just help him find specific animals that he's looking to do stuff with. So throughout the series, you see, a, as I said, a relationship developing between Troy and Mercy, but you also see that they get they get kind of invited or at least brought out to different um, scenes. So like they're always kind of working together and it's really neat to see how the dogs themselves work together. Like even though Susie Bear is like the search and rescue dog and Elvis wasn't really taught to do much more than search for bombs, they're able to work together and that's pretty neat. So this is a borrowing of bones Elvis, oh, sorry, Mercy and Elvis Mysteries, number one by Paula Munier. So where would you say these fall in terms of like the mystery? Like, are they like kind of cozies or are they darker than that? I'd say darker. I'd say darker okay. than cozies. My first book of the night is Marley and Me. I love Marley. Um, <gasps> Marley. The book and the movie both were so excellent. I didn't ever see the movie. Oh, it's oh my God. So good. It's Ugly, so, so good. Sobbing, making I like know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. But Marley is this lovable giant goofball of a yellow Labrador retriever and John and Jenny and this is a true story true 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 John and Jenny are a young newly married couple and they are just starting out in a little house and they think wouldn't it be great to have a puppy nope so <laughs> They go out and get a yellow Labrador and they bring him home and he turns into a 90, 97 pound lovable mound of destruction. <laughs> he gets expelled from obedience school. He eats everything he can get his mouth on, couches, jewelry, drywall, floors, doors. If it's edible, Marley will eat it. Um, and through all of their trials with him, um, you know, he's, he still has a lot of love 
and heart to give and they know this and so they deal with his crazy antics and his swallowing of random things they don't always like they don't always appreciate him though i mean they, no, he they makes don't. them really mad yeah and i can totally understand that um totally get that yes marley reminds me a lot of my second guide dog <laughs> a lot of my second guide dog but I just remember loving Marley so much. And I also remember all the amazing changes he went through with the family. He was there for their first child. Um, he just had so much love to give. He had so many antics, so many shenanigans. And he's just this big, lovable dog. And I always, he's kind of what made me want um, a Labrador. And <laughs> oh my God, if my Labradors ate the stuff that Marley I, ate though. I know. <laughs> um, but I, I highly recommend this book and this movie. Um, I, I kind of feel like it doesn't really matter which one you read or watch first in this instant because the movie was done really, really well. Um, but if you love big, goofy, goofball dogs, Marley is your boy and it's going to make you ugly cry. So have tissues like 62 Um, boxes. Yes, at least, um, maybe more, but it is such a beautiful story of a loving family that tolerates this monstrosity (laughs) of an animal and, all the love he has to give. So I highly recommend that everybody pick up Marley and me life in love with the world's worst dog (laughs) by John Grogan. That is truly the title. (laughs) I feel like this like epitomizes Brooke's house. Like I think her house is like Marley times five. Yes. Um, It can be, it really, really can be like if, um, (laughs) If somebody comes over, it's really funny. When somebody comes over, you'll see um, the girls will run over and jump all over. Whether And Hype's trying to, like, grab them. And there's, like, three of them jumping all over the place. And Rogue's kind of standing back, being like, I don't know. I'm going to stand back here and watch you, crazy dogs. And then Canyon is running around the house trying to find a toy. It's really funny because even if, so if he cannot find a toy anywhere, which I will tell you is like a difficult feat at my house but if he doesn't find a toy he'll grab anything it could be like a slipper a shoe even like a pillow like a throw pillow oh it's like he needs to bring something to show the people that have come come and he does it when <laughs> even when we come over like when we come home as well but that's which I thought was funny but like meeting <laughs> Marley and me was so funny like I was laughing because Some of our puppies that we've raised, um, we raised two puppies for autism service. And I remember we have pictures of Eden when he's like 10 weeks old. And one picture is him holding the end of the toilet um, paper roll. And the other end, you can see it it trailing down down the hall behind him. And so, and you're, you, you're pretty sure you can guess that it's still on the roll. Like that's how. Yes. And then, and then the next picture we take of him, 
is he's looking down at like a whole pile of shredded toilet uh, toilet paper. It's really funny. Oh, delicious toilet paper. <laughs> so it will surprise absolutely no one that my first book tonight is about cats. Oh, darn. You like it, cats? Shannon? I do. Ooh, I love it. them. Didn't know that. And you know, <laughs> this is like the best book because in this book, there are 54 cats. Oh, Lord. All the Can litter I have boxes. 54 cats? No, like, not 54 litter boxes. <laughs> if it means 54 cats, sure. Okay. Dear, <laughs> I don't want to be you. <laughs> So this is Hemingway's Cats by Lindsay Hooper. And this is just a delightful gem of a book, right? I don't read a lot of books about animals, not really for any like sinister reason. I just don't usually, I, they just don't usually draw me in. But this one really, really did. So this is inspired by the six-toed felines that Ernest Hemingway loved. And there was this, uh, it was called Hemingway House. And it's a museum that was made in Key West to commemorate Ernest Hemingway. And descendants of Hemingway's cats are rumored to live there. And so this is kind of a, like a fictional look at that, that house. And so this is the story of Laura. And she has just graduated from college. She has a degree in English and she kind of feels like it's a useless degree. Like she really loved it when she was getting it and now she has it. And what is she going to do? What kind of job is she going to get with an English degree? So she ends up in Key West working at Hemingway House as a tour guide. And, you know, it's not her ideal job, but she figures it's pretty good because she wrote a thesis on Hemingway and she studied him like a ton. So, you know, it's good. Like she has a lot of knowledge about him and it's a good place for her. So she goes to work here and she meets the 54 cats that rule this estate. Like there are 54 cats in this place and they are rumored to be at least some of them descendants of the six toed cats that Ernest Hemingway had. Um, there are actually cats that have six toes, which I did not always know, um, but it is true. I don't have any six toed cats. So Laura is kind of falling in love with her life in Key West. Um, there are a lot of quirky people that she meets. And of course, she falls hard for each and every one of these felines. And then, and then, a Category 5 hurricane is coming. Oh, no. And if you are in Key West with a Category 5 hurricane, you're supposed to evacuate. However, what do you do with the cats? That's right. How do you evacuate 54 cats? You can't. Oh. And so these people who are so dedicated to Hemingway House and the cats who have made it their home decide that they are going to stay there. They're going to hunker down and weather the storm and do what they can to keep all of these cats safe. Um, this is... It's just a lovely, lovely book. It does not get a lot of buzz. I, I wish it did. Um, it's a book that will appeal to you if you love cats. But even if you don't, I feel like there is 
just so much charm here. The characters are really likable, really easy to identify with. You can just kind of, I don't know, like feel like you, you know them almost. Um, there's this guy who calls himself the cat keeper and he is a bit of a, a love interest of Laura's. Um, at first, when you start to read it, you're not really sure if it's going to like turn into a full-fledged romance, but there is a really nice like romantic subplot here. Um, all the cats are given these really distinct personalities. Um, and I just, I really love the way Hooper was able to bring them to life on the page. I feel like it's hard to write fictional animals in a way that like, makes them feel as though they're almost real. And this is something that Hooper excels at here. So this is Hemingway's Cats. And it's by Lindsay Hooper. And I highly recommend it. Shannon, a book with 54 cats would fill your heart with joy. And if anybody could have a house with 54 cats and take care of them, it would be it you. Would be and Shannon. also during a blizzard <laughs> or a hurricane, you would take would care not of them me. during a hurricane too. See, I, I couldn't leave my cats when no. we were having oh, I, a... I couldn't leave any of my animals during a hurricane, a hurricane. but I could not have 54 cats regardless. <laughs> probably I really couldn't have 54 cats it's like one of those things <laughs> that I think is better in theory than practice I have a confession everybody confession first, is good for the soul it is good for the soul and I have to confess that this is the first book I thought of when we started talking about doing this episode with animals but I haven't read it in a long time however it is a book that has stuck with me so much. I remember lines of dialogue and I haven't read it since college, but it would withstand the test of time. And actually, because I'm doing this episode now, it makes me want to read it again. I kind of want to read this too. And like I false know. memory and intensity oh and like, oh my all God, creepy Dean Koontz books in the world. Dean Koontz <laughs> writes about dogs in such an amazing way. And so we could not really have an episode about animal characters without talking about Dragon Tears. Yay. And Dragon Tears is a book about police officers. One of them is named Harry Lyon. And he has a partner, and I believe her name is Connie. And they have to go and deal with somebody who is, um, I think, very high and causing a disturbance. No, and they're no, and they're trying to calm the situation. And they think they're doing a better job because he keeps saying the words lonely man. And all of a sudden, Connie realizes that he's saying words from, I believe, their Elvis songs. So she keeps <laughs> quoting Elvis songs back to him and they have him almost calmed down and then something happens and Harry has to kill him. Oh. And it's very upsetting for Harry. He's a very by the book cop and he's a very wants to help people and take care of people. And um, it's, it was just a very sad thing for Harry to do. And as they're leaving the scene, he runs into a homeless man who says, in 16 hours, you will be dead by dawn. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Dead by dawn. Dead by dawn. Or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And That's so... Not a good thing to say. No, horrifying. So thus starts a very 
crazy convoluted day. Um, there are golems involved Whoa. in the story. There are, it's yes, it's very like, there's a lot of like real supernatural. The um, killer is freaky deaky. He (laughs) is so scary, but I'm saying all this because there is a dog character in the book and he's a stray dog. And there are many chapters. I think he's a golden retriever mix because Dean Koontz writes a lot about golden retrievers. I don't remember for, for sure, but I believe that's what he is. And he has a lot of chapters that are in his point of view. And Dean Koontz writes a dog's point of view so well. And it'll be like, he was a good dog. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. So the dog is a huge part of this story. And somehow the dog and the cops end up working together. And it sounds kind of hokey when I'm saying it, but Dean Koontz made it work so well. And seriously, the way he wrote that dog, you can tell that he is somebody who absolutely loves dogs and and really can get into how a dog thinks. So this book is just a, it's one of the more more, um, creepy Dean Koontz books that I've ever read. And it was such a good book. I read it multiple times. And I believe the first line is something like Harry Lyons started off having a normal day, but had to kill a man by lunch. Oh, I mean, it was something like that, but there's like, it starts with this murder of this man who is clearly very ill and um, not necessarily thinking. And then it, it, it really deteriorates from there to somebody targeting Harry and then his partner and the dog and other people. And he builds as only Dean Koontz can bringing in more and more characters and just weaving the story so intricately that what you think is going to be how the story goes at the beginning is absolutely not how it is by the end. And the only part that I can tell you with absolute certainty without giving anything away is that the dog is a huge happy part of the book and the dog helps the cops figure out things that are going on, but it's not like a talking dog or anything. I mean, to the cops, he acts like a normal dog, but there's all this like inner dialogue in his chapters, like in his head. And it's just, it is just a joyful, well-written book. I mean, it's scary too, but the dog sections are joyful. I mean, I read it in college and then I read it like like five times. I know. Wouldn't it be fun to have a talking dog? No. Why? <laughs> Why not? I don't want to hear anything Zeely or Eva have to say. Okay. So my All next right. book tonight is White Hot Kiss, The Dark Elements, number one, by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And so in this book, we have Layla. And Layla is half demon, half gargoyle. And she has been taken under the wing of the local warden group. So she is now in like, I think it's like, I want to say grade 11. Because I think she still has at least another year left of high school. So she is like 17, I think. And she's really starting to think about like, what comes next? 
And she's also thinking about boys, specifically one of the wardens, and his name is Zane. And she has always, always loved Zane. Like he, she, he just thinks she just thinks he's the bomb, and she wants to be like him. So she really kind of follows him around. But like, as far as she knows, Zane only really sees her as a sister, and she doesn't know what to do about this. Well, one issue also that is kind of between them is that Layla has the power to steal people's souls. Um, And this not only affects humans, but it also can affect a warden. And if somebody loses their soul, they also die. So she also knows that she's probably never going to be able to get together with somebody because... Well, how can you kiss without taking somebody's soul, right? So, yeah. So then one day she meets Roth. And Roth is a demon. And they become friends. He's um, he's actually in her one of her classes. She's sitting in front of he's sitting in front of her and she kind of catches his eye and they end up developing a relationship. And she knows that this means that her and Zane can't be together. But she also feels like her and Roth might work out a little better because guess what? She can actually kiss Roth without taking his soul. So we have Roth. And the reason I picked um, this trilogy, I would say the trilogy, because I got to talk about other stuff in it. But the reason I picked it is because we have familiars in this series. For example, Roth has three familiars. Um, one, so when they are in their physical form, so like hanging out with him at home, um, two of them take the form of kittens, like adorable fluffy kittens. Mm-hmm. And then one of them takes the form of a big snake. And how um, does the her- snake not eat the kittens? I don't know, but the snake's name is Bambi. Yes. And um, his other two are also named Disney characters, but I can't remember which one they are. And the cool thing about these familiars is that they're actually tattoos on him. So when he's out walking around, he always has his familiars with him. And his familiars have the ability, like if they, him and so, and, Later in the series, Layla, she gets into a little bit of trouble and Roth ends up going to save her and he brings out his, his familiars. So like one of the kittens turns into a dragon. So when Whoa. he first, yeah, when he first comes off um, Roth's body, he's like this tiny dragon. So he looks like the size of a kitten dragon. <laughs> and I remember in, when that first happened and I think Layla saw it and she goes, oh my God, you have a pocket dragon and he's going to help us. Like, I don't think so. So that was really funny because then to that, um, he like ends up blowing up to this gigantic dragon who like pops off the roof of one of the, her friend's houses when they're in a battle. It was so funny. And I just really, really enjoy these characters because at another point you can see like the relationship that Roth has with each of his familiars and also the relationship like that, the way that they feel about him. 
so Bambi, he, she really is attached to Ross and she kind of really takes care of him. So if anything goes wrong, she always is always there for him, which is really neat. And in the later books, Layla actually gets one of her own familiars and it is a fox. Ooh. Yeah. So she has like a fox tattoo on her, on her I think it's on her belly or something like that. When the fox is first tattooed on him, on her, he can still come off and help her in things. But the thing is, he's very young. And uh. so she can't always rely on him because he's still growing up and maturing. So I thought that was kind of funny how like they go through their own. You have to wait um, for it to grow up. Yeah, development stages. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, so so if was... I get a bunch of cat tattoos on myself, will they? You never know. You might like, have dragons and everything. Yeah. Ooh. I'll have to work on I, this. I wouldn't mind having a pocket dragon. No, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> it's like Somebody... that Danielle Clayton book with the, the bells with the pocket pets. Oh, like the, I remember that. I remember like the that. teacup that... elephants. Oh, yes. I remember <laughs> that. I forgot that. Otherwise, I totally would have talked about that. Because those yeah. are so awesome. They are very cool. Like, I totally would like a pocket elephant. Yes. Maybe a pocket safari. That'd be kind of neat. Ooh, yes. Little tiny lions. Exactly. That'd be so cute. Wait, so little this... tiny lions. Maybe that's just like a house cat. That's true. True. <laughs> Leia kind of sounds like a little um, panther or... Ooh. I know, something. She sounds a little more exotic than most cats, which is neat. So this was White Hot Kiss, The Dark Elements, number one by Jennifer L. Armentrout. And along with it, I kind of gave some things from some of the other books without spoiling the first, which this is one trilogy you can talk about and actually be able to do that. Yeah, sometimes you can't. I'm glad that you put a fantasy in here because I was thinking about doing the Nikki Pau series with the Phoenixes. And then I got distracted by my book about 54 cats. And so obviously the cats <laughs> are the phoenixes. <laughs> <laughs> so my second book is called Giant George. Life with the world's biggest dog. By Dave Nasser. And this is a book about one of my favorite breeds. The Great Dane. I grew up with Great Danes and they are such amazing, um, gentle giants. They are huge. They are actually really good indoor pets, believe it or not, even though they're huge. Um, they just... They love to be professional couch potatoes, and it's great. So Giant George was the runt of the glitter, and his doggy parents, his human doggy parents, um, thought he was just the adorablest little thing with these big blue eyes, and he's the runt, right? So he probably won't get that big. Haha, <laughs> joke's on them. Because giant it's George, like a horse. I know. 
giant George ended up being almost five feet tall, seven feet long, and 245 pounds. 245 pounds? Yes. That's crazy. 245 pounds. And so growing up, we had a great dame that got to 200 pounds. But I don't think I could have imagined a dog that was nearly 50 pounds bigger. (laughs) Because 200 pounds is big enough. Um, But Giant George... um, it, it was so, this book was absolutely hilarious. It got its moments of um, like soulful moments, your tearful moments, but Giant George was just this great, lovable loaf. But he also, he was scared of water. He was scared of dogs smaller than him. And he was scared of being alone. So, a lot of accommodations were made for Dear George. Then in 2010, he was named the world's biggest dog ever by the Guinness World Book of Records. I remember that. Um, he, George has since passed. I think he passed a couple of years ago. It was announced on Facebook, but he had his own Facebook page and a fan club. All the good things that a wonderful dog should have, of course. And even though he became this awesome, sensational dog, he was always, always the love of his people and always made them very, very happy. Um I highly recommend this book. It is a wonderful comedy. Um, He's not quite as precocious, is that the right word, as Marley? But he has his quirks. So he's a very big, lovable dog. If you are wondering about a dog to have and you don't mind hugeness, Great Danes are amazing. So, with that. I love it. Giant, yes, Giant George, Life with the World's Biggest Dog by Dave Nasser. Go read it. I saw a Great Dane puppy once. It was not 245 pounds. No, but Great Dane puppies grow very, very fast. Yes, yes, they do. Yes, they do. But they're last so, they, they just look so cool. Like they have like the huge paws, like you know they're going to be giant, mm-hmm. but when you first see them, like they're not. They they are kind of like Odie and Garfield. They're constantly tripping over their own feet as puppies. Um, yes. Because they're they just have so to grow like... into those ginormous paws. And yes, they, do. they do. All right. So my second book tonight shows my love for the Bridgertons. Ooh, there's animals because, in Bridgerton? Yes, I yes, yes. That far, then. In the second book okay. of the fabulous Bridgerton series, which is called The Viscount, the Viscount Who Loved Who Me. Loved Me. Yes. yes. 
Bridgerton, book two by Julia Quinn. So the setup for the story for people who are not interested in, in the dog, although why you wouldn't be, I don't know. So this is Anthony Bridgerton's story. And Anthony is the head of the Bridgerton family. His father died when Anthony was 18. And so he sort of shouldered the responsibility for his younger siblings at that point. And he has some pretty deep issues dealing with abandonment and feeling like he is good enough that he has done everything that he can do to make sure that his family is thriving. You know, he sort of feels like that's his responsibility. And trying to carry off his sisters. Well, yes, that's a very important part (laughs) of his responsibility. However, there's a part that's even more important. And that is that Anthony himself needs to get married. Because if he doesn't get married, he can't have an heir. And the Bridgerton line will flounder. And we don't want that. So he decides that, yes, like he will do his duty. He'll get married. And he knows exactly who he wants to marry. And this is Edwina, who is the most beautiful girl in the season, of course. Because, like, why not? Mm-hmm. But there's a problem. Edwina has an older sister named Kate. And Kate is determined that the person who ends up marrying Edwina will marry her for the right reasons. They'll marry her because they love her, not because they just think, like, she'll be a good you know, broodmare. Good girl. So she decides that Anthony will absolutely not marry Edwina. And she sets out to keep them apart. Now, Kate has a very nifty little sidekick who helps her out quite a bit in this endeavor. And his name is Newton. And I have to say that I'm really looking forward to season two of Bridgerton for a lot of reasons. Like I really want to see Anthony and Kate get there like happily ever after on screen, but I'm also really excited to see if they're going to put Newton in the season because Newton is fantastic. He's this little, very fat Corgi and he is a little amorous at times. He's always like looking for something to hump, (laughs) but He's just this like very <laughs> he's just this very like sweet, charming dog with a mischievous side. And so he does things like lead Anthony on a merry chase uh, that ends with Anthony like being dunked in a pond. <laughs> and there's just like so much in the way of like hijinks here. Um, this is the book where you'll become familiar with a very important part of Bridgerton life, and that is the game known as Paul Mall. And you can meet mm. the black mallet, the mallet of death. No. And you will understand why the mallet of death is the most coveted like thing in this whole game. And there's just so much joy waiting for you if you have not read the Viscount who loved me because it's just it it is everything that I want when I look for a historical romance so this is everything that I want in a historical romance I've heard people say that Julia Quinn is the Jane Austen of like our time and I have to be honest and say that I'm not a big Austen fan 
but I am definitely a Julia Quinn fan. And if Julia Quinn's writing is like Jane Austen's, then I need to re-examine Jane Austen because Julia Quinn is amazing. My second book that I am going to talk about is a book that had me giggling and smiling, but I did a lot of ugly crying because it was a beautiful, beautiful book. And it is Emily and Einstein written by Linda Francis Lee. And the story is about Emily and she is married to a man named Sandy Portman. And Sandy is not that nice of a guy. And he really doesn't appreciate Emily and her sweetness and how much she loves him. And he um, invited her to come to dinner. Um, I think if I remember correctly, and I'm not giving away anything that he um, was going to tell her that he wanted to divorce her. It was something negative. And before they can have a discussion, he's hit by a car and killed. And he doesn't really deserve to have a second chance, but something happens and his soul ends up inside the body of a small scruffy dog. Oh boy. And so let's go to Emily who is like, like grieving because she loves her husband and she has like this beautiful life, you know, in her head, she lives in this amazing apartment And before the funeral is even done, she learns that she may be evicted from this apartment, like where she's built such a life with her husband, who she loved, who's now dead. And, and she starts learning all of these things about her husband that are just so heartbreaking for her that he wasn't the man she thought he was. And, and she's so angry. And so she goes And she gets this dog from the shelter and she names him Einstein (laughs) and he's this little scruffy dog. And he seems to just be there a lot. Like as she's trying to figure out all the treachery of her husband and how to rebuild her life. And, And eventually when she meets a new man and how does she cope and Einstein helps her. And Einstein is such a comfort to her and such a, such a big part of her healing and rebuilding. And she can't understand why she feels so much like resentment towards her husband, but she still loves him. And she feels like sometimes he's like right there with her and she can't figure it out. And this book, like it could sound really goofy. So first of all, Sandy can think inside Einstein. So like he'll, he gets so frustrated. Like, like if she says something or does something, he's trying to get, cause he's trying to help her now. Like he realizes like after he's gone and he can't do anything anymore to make things better, he's just in this little dog. And he starts to realize like what a beautiful soul she is and what a wonderful woman that he married. And he feels so sad and so like regretful as like how he treated her and and the mess he left her in and so he tries in his way being inside a dog who can't obviously communicate without like barking or 
It's not like a talking dog. It didn't like like we talked about earlier. He doesn't talk, but he it's like a thief helps her. Yes, and this book, I'm not doing it justice in the description of it, but it is such a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, I think because um, we just talked about it, I think I'm going to have to download it and read it again. It made me laugh. It made me cry. The way she builds these beautiful characters in Linda Francis Lee, it's just a wonderful book. And the dog, oh my God, Einstein. It's just, oh, it's everything, everything you want a dog book to be. So Emily and Einstein, read it. Linda Francis Lee, you won't regret it. So my last book for tonight is Dog on It, <laughs> Chet and Bernie Mystery, number one by Spencer Quinn. And I will honestly say when I first started reading this book, I was like rolling my eyes and I thought it was so dumb. <laughs> it has, so the narrator is Chet, which, uh, which is a mixed breed dog. And his, his, um, fellow private detective or like PI is Bernie Little and together they investigate different cases and it's really funny because Chet does all of the uh, narrating and he's always like Bernie will be all concerned about something like about his divorce or about his son or whatever and like Chet doesn't understand these things because to him like divorce like what's divorce like why does that matter doesn't matter yeah like can I eat it can I like whatever no so it's really kind of funny to hear his narrations which as I said like I thought was kind of dumb at first but then I kind of just left my scientific I guess side my more academic side I left it at the door and then I read I read the book and I've been reading this series now for a couple of years, like like different books come out each year. And I, it's, it's kind of like, I actually, I find it fun because now that I've gotten to it and gotten used to it, it's just, I, for me, it's almost like a, a break. So like, for example, I know Stacy, she'll read some really cheery romances and that really makes her feel happy. And yes. for where for me, like I'll read something like the Chet and Bernie mysteries, and it just makes me feel like I don't know, like it's makes me happy because it's because it's funny, because it's very entertaining. Like he'll do things. Um, so he talks about Chet. The way that Bernie got Chet was that Chet was originally supposed to be a police dog, and he was doing really well in police academy until a cat was involved. And he'll, oh always, he'll tell you about this story and it's so funny to hear because you could you having dogs you can really see your dog thinking that way so it always <laughs> makes me laugh every time um so in the first book the case that Chet and Bernie are taking is um a girl named Madison um she may or may have not have gone missing um, but what they do know is that she didn't come home one night and she's a, she's a really good student. Um, she's in high school and her mother is concerned. Like she doesn't know what has happened. So while Chet and Bernie are 
investigating, they it's neat to see like the different places they travel because they live somewhere where there's like desert and stuff like that. So they had to like go into the desert on this case. Um, they had to, oh, they had to go into biker bars. Like that was pretty <laughs> funny to see like his reaction to bikers or even like how Bernie tries to get information or he tries to like stop uh, an argument from happening. It's always kind of funny. So they're like, I, I would definitely say these books are lighter, but if you really like animals and you don't mind leaving like your more academic judgments at the door, like I really think people would enjoy this series. So it's Dog on It, Chet and Bernie Mysteries, number one by Spencer Quinn. The series I'm going to talk about, or the book I'm going to talk about, I haven't, I've only read the first book, and I feel very badly that I did not know that she wrote this series years ago when I read her. Because I believe this book came out in either 2013, somewhere between 2013 and 2015. And I feel really bad for not knowing that. So this is Silver Thaw. T-H-A-W, Mystic Creek, number one, by Katherine Anderson. And I know what's on your August picks list. Good. Katherine Anderson. Yes, Mystic Creek, number seven. Oh, my God. I I love to catch up. (laughs) So this book was so amazing. Um, Most of it takes place during this hellacious ice storm can i say that hellacious Um, yeah it's part of it (laughs) good word um like the worst that mystic creek has ever seen are they they in oregon is that where they are yes oregon is it mystic creek oregon okay so like the worst that oregon has ever seen and amanda banning has just recently moved to mystic creek She is running from an abusive husband. She has a six-year-old daughter she's trying to provide for. Um, She has no money. She has no car. They have very old clothes, shoes that leak. Oh, dear. It's just, it's not good for Amanda and her daughter. So they are in their little house. And... This huge ice storm hits, snowstorm. The snow's really pretty, but then everything freezes solid. And the house, yes, and the house they're living in is not exactly up to code. It's very dangerous, and anybody worth their salt would not rent this to somebody in the condition it's in. However, um. This landlord took advantage of Amanda and it was in her price range. So she took it. So during this massive ice storm, Jeb, who's is short for Jebediah, which I love that name. Um, (laughs) I do. Jebediah. It's just, it's going to be your next guy. Christian and (laughs) Jebediah. Jebediah forward. That would be kind of okay with me. 
Um, oh my god. <laughs> it's it like really was. giant. I see it as like a huge like black lab. Like I know you want a shepherd, but I don't think you could have a shepherd name that. Like that's oh, not I a do. shepherdy name. No. I don't know. It sounds like a very sophisticated name to me. It I does? <laughs> it does. I don't know why. Oh However, <laughs> Jebediah <laughs> is a wonderful man. And he, he has a farm, he has cattle, he has a pig, he has chickens, he has a Does he have a mastiff. boxer? No, oh no, a mastiff. A mastiff. And his name is Bozo. And <laughs> <laughs> Bozo's amazing. Um, but he has separation anxiety, and it's a good thing that Jeb is a carpenter because... Bozo is constantly chewing up things when he's left alone, especially doors. So, Whoa. yeah, it's a good thing that Jebediah can <laughs> fix Build his some own new wood doors. doors. <laughs> <laughs> so, during this massive ice storm, um, some of the locals get together and go out to help their neighbors that are elderly or things of that nature who may need help with bringing in firewood or making sure they have um, wood burning stoves. And if they don't, they get them to somewhere that has heat um, and things like that. And before this storm hits, Jeb has been finding these slips of pink paper all over his land and there's little notes on them. And at first, he's kind of mad because he's like, what doofus is driving past my land and littering? Because <laughs> he just, he like looks out over his pasture and sees these little pink dots everywhere. So he goes to pick them up. And at first, he doesn't realize there's little notes on them. But then one day, he happens to look down and see that there's writing on it. And so... He goes over to his neighbor and asks him if he's been getting the same thing. And he's like, yeah, we found them and there's notes on them and blah, blah, blah. So he's like, okay, well, I'm not being targeted. So that's great. But because of farmers being farmers, they kind of know where the wind's coming from, which direction. And so during this ice storm, Jeb decides that his route is going to be down this dead-end street and he's going along he's helping his neighbors you know because that's what nice neighbors do and he comes to this last house on the street and it looks abandoned almost there's no tire tracks or anything to show that anybody lives there and so he almost turns away but he decides to check just in case he knocks on the door. It opens just as far as the chain will let it open. And one beautiful brown eye is staring out at him. <laughs> and he does not know that this moment is going to change his life, but it so does. And he, it is Amanda. And he goes in and... Her pipes have burst. Who? 
because they have frozen and all of this craziness. And she's very timid and scared of guys, rightfully so, because of her abusive husband. And it takes a little coaxing to get her to let him take her to take her to his home and keep her and her daughter safe during this storm. So she reluctantly moves in with him and he does all these nice things. And the little girl is scared of Bozo at first, but he's this very lovable, big, goofy Mastiff. And she quickly falls in love with him. Um, and it just all kind of snowballs from there. Um, there is a little kitten that comes into the picture and the little girl names her is it, I can't remember if it's a girl or a boy, but she names it Frost. And it's a baby. And she becomes very attached to these animals. And they sleep with her every night. They make her feel safe. Bozo oh, also good. saves her and her mommy from the husband. Because he manages to bypass the alarm system at one point, And he comes Can't in and he's a Bypass the mastiff. Yep, and he comes down and pretty much puts the guy in a chokehold. He, like, barrels into him, knocks him down, and then hold, puts his mouth on his neck and refuses to <laughs> let him up. Yes, I loved it. Loved it so much. I was like, take that, jerk face. That's not what I said, but it was much worse. <laughs> um, so it just, it is a beautiful story of how Amanda comes to love again. Um, she is a very timid creature. She's always been told that she's ugly, that she can't do things right. She's been physically abused. Her daughter's been physically abused. So that, I guess I should have put that first. There is mental and physical abuse in this book. Mentions of it. Um, Jeb helps her get a good divorce lawyer and all of this. Um, but he is a big game changer in Amanda's life. And it is such a beautiful story. There's a very comical scene. I will make, I'll start wrapping this up. I know I'm getting long. It's just such a wonderful book. There's a, there's one scene where Jeb takes the little girl out into the farmyard to check on the chickens <laughs> She opens the door and they all get loose and they're trying to chase them on the ice and they keep beefing it. And the dog is trying to chase the chickens and he keeps beefing it. (laughs) So hilarious. But they finally do get all the chickens back in the coop. And um, that's a really great scene. But I I highly recommend this book. I, I plan to read the rest of the series. They're all about Jeb is in the first one, and the rest of them about his brothers. You must have a lot of brothers. Uh, yes, it's the Sterling family. Because the seventh um, book is coming in August. So must- this is Silver Thaw, Mystic Creek Number 1 by Katherine Anderson. And it is beautiful. Katherine Anderson... I know is problematic for some people because her disability rep isn't always um, as good as it could be. Yeah. But 
I, there's just something really special about a lot of her writing. And so I tend to kind of give her a pass, even for the things that I don't agree with mm-hmm. about the way she writes about disability. Um, but she's just such a, a gifted writer in so many ways. So my next pick tonight takes us from romance to nonfiction, which is a place I don't often go on this podcast. However, (laughs) it does happen sometimes. I want to talk about Half Broke by Ginger Gaffney. And this is just such an incredible look at the connection between animals and people. So when we think about horses, like we don't really think about horses as being oh. super aggressive animals, right? Like when I, I think about horses. horses, I'm not like, oh yes, I bet these horses are like scrounging through the garbage and like chasing people. Like that's not, that's not what I think <laughs> no. of. Okay. No, it's not. But this ranch that we're going to talk about is an alternative prison ranch. And so people are sent there um, when they've committed various offenses and when it is decided that the ranch would be a better place to rehabilitate them than the prison system. Imagine that. I've seen movies and read books about that too. Yes. So Ginger Gaffney is a horse trainer and she was called by someone on the ranch because there were a group of horses that were living there that were very, very aggressive and they would <gasps> chase people and they would like oh, go through the dumpster and they were just like uncontrollable horses <gasps> and no one knew why. Well, no one knew why, because nobody really knew how to work with horses. I'm not sure like how you have a ranch where no one knows how to work with horses, but here we yeah. go. So they have it. And they reach out to Ginger and ask if she would be willing to not only work with the horses, but also to work with some of the people who live on the ranch to help them become better able to work with horses themselves. And so she begins to spend time at this ranch and she gets to know both the horses and the residents. And it kind of causes her to look back on her own life and so we see through kind of a series of flashbacks about sort of how she first started to love horses and how she started to work with them and make them not only like her you know her friends but like a huge part of her personal and her professional life Mm -hmm. Um, we also see some things both good and bad about this country's criminal justice system Um, the ways in which it does benefit people and the many, many ways in which it doesn't. Um, Half Broke chronicles Ginger's journey towards just sort of a better understanding of the world around her and her place in it. It shows us a year in her life as she's spending time at this ranch and really understanding, you know, more and more about horses and the ways in which horses and people can connect and communicate and change each other for the better. Um, It's, it's not, how do I say, it's not like a sweet and sappy book where you're like, oh, everyone is, is remarkable and lovely and beautiful. Like everyone has been, you know, completely transformed. It's, it's not like that. It is real and unflinching. We see that, you know, not everyone can or does change that, you know, some people have been through terrible, terrible things and 
they're not going to become magically better because they work with a horse. But we also see the difference that having a close connection with animals can make in the lives of these people and how getting to know both these people and these horses affects Ginger in a really deep and profound way. Um, we, we look at, like I said, issues of, of justice. We see some things about sexuality. Um, she tackles addiction a little bit here. There's just a lot here, but it's all like set against the backdrop of this ranch and Ginger's deep and abiding love for horses, sometimes even more than, than she loves people. So this is Half Broke. It's a memoir by Ginger Gaffney. And I read it at the end of, of 2020. And it's a book I think that will stay with me for quite a long time. That sounds so good as somebody who grew up riding horses and um, going to horse shows. And I mean, horses, I mean, animals in general, but horses, if you can develop like a bond with your horse, it is such a beautiful, like that they're willing to carry you on their backs and they're willing to do all these things. And, and when they recognize you and they're these huge animals that like, if yes. they're even half kicked, I mean, they could really, really hurt you and how, you know, if you can get them to trust you and feel comfortable, I mean, you still wouldn't want to necessarily go and like sit right behind their back feet and expect them not to kick you, but right. But if they're, I love horses. I love horses so much. And I love that I'm going to have to read this book. I really feel like we could not talk about books that involve animal characters without talking about an iconic author. I'm not even going to talk about a specific book per se. No, I'm going to talk about the author. No, you just, you really can't. No, you really can't because one book is never better than the other. Um, I will say, and I'm not going to name a bunch of books because I know that drives Shannon crazy when I do that, but I had a lot of books I wanted to talk about that I've talked about before. And then I kept saying to Shannon, but who will discuss James Harriet? And Shannon's like, oh, I think Kristen is going to. And then I found out that nobody was going to discuss James Harriet. And I could not. No, it's okay because I'm actually really excited to get to talk about him. So James Harriet. Decision. It's all right. (laughs) James Harriet for like the one person who doesn't know is was a country vet in Yorkshire, 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 Yorkshire. in mm-hmm. Northern England. And a he, long time ago, a, like in the 1930s mm-hmm. before when... World War II, he started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as an older man, he started writing books about his experience, training, taking, treating, excuse me, he started <laughs> writing about his experience treating not only cats and dogs, but farm animals in like crazy conditions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I don't know how many books I read or how many stories I read about like cattle where I was like, Oh, oh, good cow, please live cow. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's like animals (laughs) that you don't usually think like, Oh, it's such a beautiful story. Like if you grew up in the city, like I didn't know cows when I was growing up. And so, and some when, of these weren't just like for me; they were 
pets. Right. They were like, yes, yes. And this is like old farming conditions. I mean, Mm -hmm. this isn't like, I mean, it wasn't some, he talked about some places having more fancy barns, but a lot of places had like old stables, like from the 1800s. Yes. Old, Mm -hmm. old without like a lot of amenities. And he'd have to go and take care of these animals. And then he'd have to go to these like rambly old houses and cottages. So um, when I was eight years old, my family bought me all things wise and wonderful. I'll never forget it. They bought it for me on oh, tape, yes. narrated by the incomparable, amazing Christopher Timothy. And I read this book and then I read it with my parents. And I will just highlight a couple of the stories, not just from all things wise and wonderful, but he wrote a story about in honor of boxers, Cedric the Boxer. And Cedric the Boxer I lived. I forgot he wrote about a boxer. Yes, Cedric the Boxer. Cedric, oh, but don't so worry. Many stories. You'll remember. <laughs> so Cedric the Boxer lived with kind of more of like an upper crust lady, a very like ladylike lady. And she had a hard time because she had to call Mr. Harriet on the phone and say, he suffers from a certain amount of flatus. And James Harriet says, I beg, I beg your pardon? Flatus. So he went to the house and the boxer was a perfect specimen of a boxer. And he went to check him out. And all of a sudden, the flatulent smell was like the worst nose burning smell he'd ever smelled. Oh, God. And he, yes. And the, and, he was like, oh my God. So he tried a couple things and tried to work with the woman. And there was part of the story is how he, um, the woman wanted to breed Cedric with a sweet little boxer female named Trudy and how like Cedric tried to like put it in her ear. Like he had no idea. He was not a very oh smart, <laughs> he was a not brilliant and a quite stinky boxer. Poor guy. <laughs> so at the end of the story, Cedric ends up living with this gardener that works for the woman because she just couldn't keep him. I mean, the flatulence were so bad and the very end. So he goes to see him and they're talking and like waves of flatulence are going across the room and the, the gardener's just like drinking his tea, doesn't care. And he's saying going on and on about what a great dog Cedric is. And the very last line of the story was I've got no sense of smell. No, I bet you don't. Hilarious. It's probably a very good thing. And then he wrote stories about a very pampered dog named Tricky Woo. Yes, I was just trying to think of his name. And she loved Tricky Woo. She would call and say, Oh, Mr. Harriet, Tricky has gone flop butt again, which means that (laughs) he couldn't hold up his back legs because Tricky was very fat. He got to eat like cake and stuff. But he always loved to go see Mrs. Pumphrey and Tricky because he'd have like all this amazing food. So then in, in another book, he wrote a story because Mrs. Pumphrey was in several stories. And in another story, he wrote a book about how he had to go take care of Tricky on like Christmas Eve. And there was this huge party and she kept giving him like these bowl sized glasses of like, I think it was champagne. It might've been wine. I can't remember. And then he had to go do a house call and like deliver a calf or something. Oh, I do remember that. Oh my God. He was (laughs) trying to say, can I have a, a, a bucket of hot water, some soap and a towel. And he couldn't get the words out. 
And I was just dying. Oh my God. So the best thing is when I got a book that was actually narrated by the real James Harriet. So Christopher Timothy is an amazing, amazing narrator. And he, to many people, is the voice of James Harriet. But to get to hear the real James Harriet read his own stories. And he wrote this hilarious story about when he met his wife, Helen, and he took her on her first date and he was trying, she was kind of more like a fancier farm girl. And he, Mm -hmm. he was like this poor country vet and he tries to take her this really fancy inn and like he blows a tire and then he has to push the car out of this mud and he has to like borrow pants from her father-in-law and like wear his like dancing slippers and oh my god just on (laughs) and on it was just oh so many great stories and beautiful stories about cats and one of the coolest thing is he wrote a story from the 30s about animals getting poisoned with strychnine which that part is not great. That's but not cool. No, but it was about Fergus, the guide dog. Oh my God. And I don't yes, think. And he I was a big. I, I don't remember. Yes. It's in all things wise and wonderful. And Fergus was remember an, this? an Alsatian. So a German shepherd. German they shepherd. Called, yes. Wow. And the, the guy's name was Johnny and Johnny. And he took care of Fergus and Fergus got poisoned, but lived. And it was Kristen. You have an Alsatian in your home. Yes, Kristen um, has an Alsatian. I might have two one day soon. Yes, two so. Alsatians. So some of the names of the books by James Harriet, if you want to check them out, because really, children through adults, there's it. it oh, everyone, anyone from any, mm-hmm. it's for any age. And you will laugh. You will cry. Some of his animals die. It's not all like sunshine and roses, but they're all written so beautifully. Like the Christmas Day kitten. So a few James Harriet books, if anybody hasn't read them and wants to get started. And I highly recommend reading them in audio, but they'll be great no matter how you read them. But all creatures, great and small, all things wise and wonderful, all things bright and beautiful. The Lord God made them all. Um, all parts of a song, you know, um, yes. but, oh, I'm, I'm missing some, but they're, if only they There's could so talk, many. <laughs> you really can't so go many. wrong with any of them. They're mm-hmm. beautiful. And he puts in little bits about like his family and when he had to be in the war and he was an airman, I think in the war, they have children too, right? Jimmy and Rosie. And I think that's he has one right. more son or daughter. I can't Rosie and Jimmy. And I think there was one more. And he talks about his children and, oh my God, everything is just, I, James Harriet, if you ever want to read books about animals, and if you want to read a book where you'll fall in love with cattle and sheep and pigs and horses and, and dogs and, I mean, all different kinds, he's an equal opportunity animal writer. He is James Harriet. So, so good. And this, my friends, brings us to the end of our animal episode. Thank you to Brooke, Kristen, and Sarah for such fantastic books about fantastic animals. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And thanks to the boxer who has been sleeping on the couch with me as we have recorded this episode. Well, I'm not (laughs) sleeping, but he is. And of course, I want to thank each and every one of you who join us each week as we talk about all the books we love.
If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.